This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Do your investments align with your values? Well, now is the time to increase your triple bottom line to better people, profit, and the planet. Amalgamated Investment Services, a division of America's socially responsible bank, has a deep-seated commitment to affecting systemic change through investments. By specializing in triple bottom line impact, they can help navigate the common hurdles experienced by nonprofit organizations and foundations, from creating a sustainable policy statement to avoiding the all-too-prevalent greenwashing. If you'd like to join them in creating a more just and sustainable world, please visit amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofitinvesting. Securities offered through Infinex Investments Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Amalgamated Investment Services is a trade name of Amalgamated Bank. Infinex and Amalgamated Bank are not affiliated. As a leader of a nonprofit, you know firsthand how important it is to have the right technology, tools, and strategies in place to achieve your mission. Well, that's where Heller Consulting comes in. Heller Consulting is a premier consulting firm that specializes in helping nonprofit organizations achieve their goals through effective technology strategy and implementation. Whether you need help with technology roadmaps, CRM strategy, Salesforce, or Microsoft implementations, Team Heller has you covered. With Heller Consulting on your side, you can trust that you'll have the support you need to make the most of your organization's technology resources. Visit teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Again, that's teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Planned giving, strategic reserves, endowments. Each of these topics are critical for a nonprofit leader to understand, especially as a nonprofit grows larger and needs more funding for long-term sustainability. But when it comes to a development strategy, what percentage would you recommend when it comes to how much planned giving should make up a nonprofit's total fundraising goal? Or how much time should development staff focus on planned giving compared to other fundraising priorities? Or how can a nonprofit both build and sustain a robust fundraising program that includes planned giving? Well, this and more is answered by my guest today, Timothy Higdon. Timothy has over 30 years of leadership experience and with fund development and consulting success in nonprofit, corporate, and military organizations. Most recently, he is serving as president and CEO of the Hearing Health Foundation, which is the largest private funder of basic scientific research to find cures for hearing loss and related conditions. Timothy is also an adjunct lecturer at Columbia University. Get ready to take some notes because what Timothy shares is extremely valuable. Enjoy today's show. Well, Timothy, it's so good to have you on the show today. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. Well, you bet. Well, today we're going to talk about planned giving while spending some really focused time on endowments, including what is an endowment? How does one set one up? What are the advantages of a nonprofit organization to have an endowment? But first, let's start talking about planned giving. I think it's one of those things for nonprofit leaders that a lot of CEOs and executive directors, unless they've had previous experience with planned giving and or endowments for that matter, 
It's not something that a lot of people talk about, and yet it can be a really critical strategy when it comes to building out a sustainable nonprofit. And so as the name suggests, of course, just to kind of get us started here, planned gifts are simply donations that are set up today in order to be donated sometime in the future. And as you know, oftentimes a planned gift is activated after a donor has passed away. And the most common planned gifts include things like cash bequests, real estate, personal property, life insurance, appreciated stock and securities, et cetera. So I thought for you to tell my audience, where does a nonprofit leader start when it comes to ramping up their organization's planned giving? Maybe we'll start there. Yeah, great question. So the first thing I want to do is the best definition that I've heard of a planned gift is it's, it's major gifts for the middle class. So this is an opportunity for people to give larger sums of money than they feel like that they could do while they're alive. And, you know, and so oftentimes what happens is that you'll have donors that will say, I can't do that right now because I need to make sure I have the cash to take care of myself. But as one of my old buddies who used to be a Franciscan monk said is that shrouds don't have pockets. So you can't take it with you. And so this is a real opportunity for, you know, for folks to, you know, to make a gift that's going to be meaningful to a charity. And that gift generally manifests itself after that person passes away. So let me also define what an endowment is. An endowment and how that differs from a strategic reserve. So what an endowment is, is that when you ask for money or accept money as an endowment, what you're saying is the corpus of that gift will never be spent. That's really important to know. So if I ask somebody for a million dollars in endowment, what that says is that I cannot legally spend that million dollars ever, ever, never into perpetuity. What you're allowed to do is strategically invest that money, and then the earnings that come off of the corpus can be used. And so the board can't all of a sudden decide, hey, you know, we, we asked for this money as endowment and then we need the money now. So we're going to change our minds. You can't do that. So there's, so the advantages of doing, you know, of having an endowment is, or is you have a corpus of money that you know that's going to throw off certain percentage every year. And it'll generally for nonprofits, they're looking at somewhere in the current market, somewhere between three and four percent that is earned off of that that money. That's what you can spend. So then the question that you have to ask is: Is raising money for endowment the best and most strategic use of that money from the donors? And so, and how does that differ from a strategic reserve? A strategic reserve is where the board says we are going to set aside a certain amount of money. Or we're going to ask donors to give us money that goes into a reserve that the board, in concert with the executive director, can make a decision to say, yes, we're going to spend that. So let's go back to our million-dollar example. We have a million-dollar endowment, and that corpus can never be touched. A million dollars of strategic reserve, that can sit there. It can earn money. The board can say, we're going to take 3% of that strategic reserve. But if something comes along, like the economic downturn, or the pandemic, or whatever, and say, we need to spend that million dollars, the board can decide to do that based on the conditions that came with that gift. And I think it's really important to understand that distinction between an endowment and a strategic reserve. 
No, I'm really glad you mentioned that. It's an excellent summary of the differences. I do think, again, this is really important. And for many people in the nonprofit world, particularly if you're new or if you're leading a smaller organization where this is not even a conversation, it's so good to have that clear in your mind before you move forward, particularly if you are part of a growing nonprofit. Well, let's get to development strategy. When it comes to developing a development strategy, what percentage would you recommend when it comes to how much planned giving should make up, say, a nonprofit's total fundraising annual goal? And then secondly, kind of tied to that, how much time should development staff and CEO or executive director, for that matter, focus on planned giving compared to, say, the other fundraising priorities that that organization has? That's a great question. So the answer is it depends. So (laughs) That's always the answer. That's right. Yes, it depends on the nature of the organization. So one of the things that I, I strongly advocate for an organization is to look at what you call your revenue portfolio. And that is where all are the sources of your philanthropic revenue are. So it could be annual giving, it could be direct mail, it could be planned giving, it could be corporate, it could be major gifts. So you look at all of that. And a balanced revenue portfolio says that no more you know, there should be no, none of those categories providing more than one third of your total philanthropic revenue. Then inside of that category, there should be no one person or entity that's giving more than one third. So it's called the one third rule. Now, the thing I will say is if you find yourself in a situation where that's not true, you don't tell those donors to go away. What you need to do is build a plan that will ultimately move you toward having a balanced revenue portfolio. So the question you ask about how much should plan giving be? Well, a lot of it depends. So for instance, my foundation, our donors tend to skew older so that my average age of my donor is in their 70s, where plan giving is a very strategic part of what we do. So an organization like like a primary school or an organization that is really geared at helping young young adults get their first start where the donors and the supporters are very young and plan giving may not be the most strategic thing because if you're asking donors who are in their 30s or 40s for a planned gift and you look at the actuarial tables you know that person could theoretically live for 70 years 60 70 80 years before you ever see that planned gift so what you have to do is you have to look at your organization you got to look at your donor base and say, you know, does it make sense for us to do that? And so that really is, you know, it, it depends. So for some organizations that have older donors and, you know, and that are donors that are going to be in the 50 years up plus, plan giving should be a major part of that. Rob, I'll just say one other thing is that when you're looking at building a development program, plan giving is the, it has the longest lead time. So if I start a plan giving program today, I may not see dollar one for a decade. And again, that depends on the age of the donors because those gifts are not going to manifest until that donor goes into the next life, until they pass away. So, you know, if you're asking people in their 30s or 40s for planned gifts, you may not see dollar number one for 50, 60, 70 years. If you have an older donor base, you may see those gifts start to manifest, but you've got to look at all those conditions before you make a decision about how much effort that you want to spend on it. The final thing I'll say is that, you know, when you're talking with somebody about a planned gift, as opposed to a major gift, a major gift is one where people say, yeah, I'm looking at, do I have those resources in my life? 
at this point? Can I part with them? Am I turned on by the mission or what you're asking me to do? The conversations that happen around plan giving are much longer because you're talking with somebody about their demise. You're talking about, you know, to somebody about, you know, like after you pass away. I can use my own example is that I was in conversation with an organization around a planned gift. It took me about nine months before I ever came to a decision because I was confronted. It was like, I'm 62 years old. I don't want to think about when I die. And so that you add a lot more time into those conversations and the conversations are much more gentle and they take a lot more time and care, you know, to have that donor reach a point of saying, yes, I want to, I want to give. Well, that's really well said. That's an excellent point. Now let's broaden that a little bit. When it comes to nonprofits development strategy, how can a nonprofit both build and sustain a robust fundraising program as a whole that includes plan giving? What are the most important elements from your experience of really developing that robust, sustainable fundraising program? Uh, so the first thing you have to look at is how much manpower or person power do you have to deploy? So if you are you know, in an organization that has no paid staff and everyone's volunteer, then you really have to look at, say, is plan giving the right way to go? If you have a staff where you're the CEO or the executive director and you may have zero staff or one staff, you've got to look at it and it's all about prioritization to say, where can I invest these resources, you know, the, these human resources to get the most effect to advance my mission. If you have an organization where you have a development team, then it's a, you know, then it becomes a different story of saying how much, you know, how much do I want to, you know, how much do I want to deploy? And thinking again is that how long is it going to take for that revenue stream to really start to produce the results that you need? And do you have the sustaining power? So you don't want to start a plan giving program and then a year later saying, well, we're going to stop it because it hasn't generated the revenue that we want it to do. Being in the nonprofit space, one of the biggest questions I get is about grant funding. Nonprofit leaders know that grants can be a very important part of their overall revenue, but knowing how to write grants well and where to find them can leave many of us overwhelmed. Well, it's a good thing my friend Holly Rustic at Grant Writing and Funding creates ways to make grant writing simple and achievable. Well, here's the good news. She is offering you, my listener, a free grant writing class. And of course, she also has her own podcast, Grant Writing and Funding. So I encourage you to visit grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob for the free grant writing class and find out more about Grant Writing and Funding podcast. Once again, that's grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. No, really well said. Okay, now you've already set up endowments and you gave us a distinction on that. Let's talk a bit more about that simply because I think it is one of those things I even think from my own personal experience, endowments are something that it's new to me still. And I've been in the nonprofit sector for a long time now. Let's talk about it a bit more. You already gave us a good definition of what an endowment is. Now, when it comes to the difference obviously between planned gifts and endowments is typically an endowment is what you do with a planned gift. Once you get a planned gift, then you put it into an endowment. You already mentioned how when you go into an endowment, that is so critical to know that the corpus of that endowment is really untouchable. You're only going to get a percentage of that each year to apply to whatever you need in your organization. But really the, the bulk of what that gift is, 
is not something you can use. So I'm really glad you made that distinction on the, that very front end. So when it comes to when and why a nonprofit should consider setting up an endowment, maybe we'll start with the why. Why would a nonprofit consider setting up an endowment? Because you know, at the end of the day, you've got an annual fund you've got to cover. You need to have a strategic reserve, as you mentioned, because you know certain things like COVID happen, right? So why would a nonprofit even have an endowment? Like, what's the advantage of setting up an endowment? Yeah, I think so. The advantage of is that you know that it is like an annuity that you're going to have a dependable stream of revenue in perpetuity that's going to generate off of that off of the endowment. So, you know, you know, let's go back to the thing if you know if you have a $100 endowment and I'm just using this as a as an example. And if your board makes a decision that you're going to deploy 3%, you know, that is raised off of that endowment, then what you have is every year you're going to have $3 that you know that you can that you can deploy. So there it becomes a dependable revenue stream. So one of the questions that you have to really answer for yourself is what's your mission and is there a sense of urgency? So I worked with Amnesty International many years ago and there was a conversation about should we have an endowment? And what the board came to the conclusion and I rightly agree with it, it was no, we shouldn't because if there is such a need that needs immediate deployment of dollars now both morally and optically to say, we're going to set aside X number of millions of dollars or thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars when the world is burning and it needs it now to say, we're going to set aside that money in perpetuity. That's not going to, that's not going to sit well with your donor. So you got to think about is your mission and the urgency. Do you need it? And I think the second question you have to answer for yourself and for your external supporters is, why do you need it? And how you know could a strategic reserve, which gives the board more flexibility to do that? Now it could be the board makes the wrong decision and so you know and they liquidate their strategic reserve. Well, then it's gone. With you know, with and with an endowment in perpetuity, that month, that corpus can can never be touched. And it, the third thing that you have to be really careful about is how your mission may change over time. And a great example would be, you know, what if you're at a university uh, and the university is going to do, you know, so you want to endow a fund for a chair in blacksmithing. Well, a hundred years ago, blacksmithing, you know, having a chair in a department of blacksmithing would make a lot of sense. But you think fast forward a hundred years, you know, like where we're at now, how many blacksmiths do you know? And so what happens is that money, if it's raised and restricted in perpetuity and endowment for that, it can never be changed. Now I can tell, I can, I don't know, like with New York law, what it requires, if you want to change the endowment is first of all, you have to go to find that you've got to go back to the donor. If the donor is passed, then you have to find the heirs and have the heirs agree. And if you can't find the heirs, then what you can do is go to the state attorney general and petition them and they will have a hearing and make a decision. Can that money be redeployed or is the hardest money to raise? So you've got to think about will your supporters support an endowment fund where uh, for a lot of folks, a strategic reserve may be a more, you know, a more important direction to go. I don't have a point of view. I mean, at my foundation, I'm really fortunate. I have a strategic reserve and I have an endowment. 
And the endowments actually came from planned gifts where, you know, that people said, we're leaving you X number of dollars and it's going to be for an endowment in perpetuity to fund research for the field that we're in. Well, all really interesting insights there. Now, when it comes to an endowment and a nonprofit, does an organization typically need to get to, say, a certain size before they even consider an endowment? Well, you know, it was back to my, you know, example is, is that what, so what a board will want to do, and generally speaking, what they'll do is they'll look at a rolling three to five year average of the rate of return on the investments that are in the endowment. And then what most boards will do is say, we're going to pick a number. So for instance, in my foundation, we do 3% because the market's been kind of crazy, you know, over the, the last couple of years. So what you want to think about is, if you're a small organization, if you're a $500,000 organization, you know that if you, you do an endowment and you get a $10,000 endowment, there's not going to be enough money really thrown off of that to really make a material difference. So what you have to think about is, is this the best use of our effort to raise this money? And if you're, you know, and if endowment just shows up as like a planned gift, and by the way, 90% of the plan gifts that materialize organizations never know until that person passes away. So, so you've got to think about in size and scale, you know, if you're a five or a $10 million a year organization, endowment might make sense, you know, might make sense to think about. But if you're a smaller organization, like which mo- what no- most nonprofits are, having an endowment, a small endowment that throws off three or 4% a year, is not going to make a material difference in the work you do. No, helpful on that one. Very good. When it comes to then, all right, our organization has said, we know why we want to do this. We feel like we're at the right size to do this. Then what are the first steps to get this started? What would be the next step maybe to actually pursue getting an endowment established in an organization? The first thing you want to do is have a conversation with your board and really go through and say, is this what we want to do? And and having a, you know, a really, you know, an important conversation about, do we want to ask donors to support this? And how would that look? Now, you may have something where a planned gift comes in and says, this gift is a, you know, an endowed gift. And so you don't have a choice. You accept the gift, you accept the conditions that, that come with it. So the first thing is that you want to do is have a board conversation to say, do we want to, or do we really want to do this? And do we understand that distinction between a strategic reserve and an endowment, and which is the best for the organization that we have. The second thing that you want to do is the board will want to have to consider a gift acceptance policy. And the gift acceptance policy would go through and say, what can we accept and under what conditions? So it may be, you know, we are willing to accept gifts like this. So, so use a great example. So gifts that typically have high liquidity, so like cash, publicly traded stocks and securities, those are ones that are no-brainers that you know can be accepted. Where it gets a little bit dicey is, will you accept real estate? So I worked for an organization many years ago that you know was given a share in a piece of real estate, and this was back in 2009. Well, it took, you know, it took three years for that property to sell. So we were on the hook for property taxes, for the maintenance, the upkeep, and the electric. So you really want to make sure that you think that, you know, think that through. So gift acceptance policies, what you're willing to accept and under what conditions. The next thing you want to do is have investment policy. And so how 
are you going to manage this money? So if you accept it, you know, say we're going to accept the endowment, we're going to establish it, who's going to manage it? So do you have that expertise on your board? And by the way, that can't be the treasure. So you want to have the investment people in the treasure. You've got to have a separation of church and state there. And so having investment policies to say, what is it we, that we want to invest in? And, and then the final piece of this that you want, that the board will want to talk about are, are disbursement policies saying, once that we have this established, how are we going to determine how much that we're going to spend? Because if this year we establish it and the rate of return is 10%, are we going to spend 10%? And that's not a good idea. What you want to do is look at a rolling average, typically three to five years to say, over a three to five year period, this is kind of the the rolling average of what we you know you know what has been generated, and that is our disbursement policy. So again, that what that does is it gives the board and the executive director clear cut guidance to say how much we can spend. And the last thing I re- reiterate is once you accept endowment, whether you and you raise it, that corpus can never be touched. It is sacred. It cannot be violated. You cannot borrow against it. It is sacred. And, you know, and the thing that will get you in trouble faster with the attorney generals of the state is that you start rating or borrowing and saying, I'll pay the, the, you know, the endowment back. You can't do it. That is the quickest way to get yourself in a lot of trouble. We'll be right back. Do you want a clear step-by-step system to write grants so that your nonprofit secures funding in a stress-free manner? Well, check out the free grant writing class, How to Write Winning Grants in Seven Proven Steps. You will walk away with seven nuggets of grant writing clarity and a free action workbook so you can start writing higher quality grants today. Just watch this free class now at grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Again, that's grantwritingandfunding.com slash Rob. Do your investments align with your values? Well, now's the time to increase your triple bottom line to better people, profit, and the planet. Amalgamated Investment Services, a division of America's socially responsible bank, has a deep-seated commitment to affecting systemic change through investments. By specializing in triple bottom line impact, they can help navigate the common hurdles experienced by nonprofit organizations and foundations. From creating a sustainable policy statement to avoiding the all-too-prevalent greenwashing. If you would like to join them in creating a more just and sustainable world, please visit amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofit investing. Again, that's amalgamatedbank.com slash nonprofit investing. Securities offered through Infinix Investments Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Amalgamated Investment Services is a trade name of Amalgamated Bank. Infinix and Amalgamated Bank are not affiliated. As a leader of a nonprofit, you know firsthand how important it is to have the right technology, tools, and strategies in place to achieve your mission. Well, that's where Heller Consulting comes in. Heller Consulting is a premier consulting firm that specializes in helping nonprofit organizations achieve their goals through effective technology strategy and implementation. Whether you need help with technology roadmaps, CRM strategy, Salesforce, or Microsoft implementations, Team Heller has you covered. With Heller Consulting on your side, you can trust that you'll have the support you need to make the most of your organization's technology resources. Visit teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Again, that's teamheller.com slash NLP to learn more. Yeah, 
again, I completely agree with that. So again, just to reiterate, so an acceptance policy, critical to have that. An investment strategy, uh, again, the board would develop that. And then a distribution strategy and agreement. Those are some of the key elements, it seems like. Any other questions or things that nonprofits should be considering when it comes to setting up an endowment? Well, I think once that you've gone through is like that decision about whether you want to do it or not, is that once that you have said, yes, we want to do it, then those three things, gift acceptance policies, an investment policy, a disbursement policy. And then, you know, inside the investment policy is like, who's going to manage it? So is it, do you have the expertise on the board to manage those investments or do you place it with, you know, external, you know, with an external company that's going to manage it for you? And they take a percentage. So generally, if it's a small endowment, it's generally going to be somewhere around 1%. So you're going to pay fees in order to have, have that managed. But you want to make sure that you have the expertise on your board or that you're able to outsource it. So those are the, I think, are the major things. Like Once that you've reached that decision, gift acceptance policies, investment policies, and a distribution policy you know, what, you know, of what we're going to do with it. Let's talk about governance for a second here. This is a critical issue, of course, for all areas of a nonprofit is one's governance, right? And specifically when it comes to setting up an endowment, this will be a good opportunity I have found to review your governance policies, which includes, you know, what you and your board are legally and ethically responsible for. So maybe you can give my listeners some guidance when it comes to the issue of governance in general, but specifically, what are some of the common pitfalls, particularly when it comes to setting up an endowment? Yeah, so there's a great document that I would highly recommend. And Rob, you may actually want to, you know, put this in the thing. It's called Before You Get Started. It is written by the the New York State Attorney General. It is a great document that goes through and lays out what's the responsibility of being on a board. So, you know, and there are, you know, there are three major duties. There's the duty of care, obedience, and loyalty. Those are spelled out in what, you know, what you're responsible for as, you know, as a board. So, you know, the, the thing with governance is that a lot of times what happens is people say, I don't have financial acumen. So, I, you know, I can't read this stuff. I don't really understand it. I'm not responsible for it. That's not the answer. I mean, when you are responsible, you know, you're responsible for, for that. And, you know, and that would mean that you need to get the training or get someone to help you understand, you know, like, your, your financial statements and your investment policies and that, because you are, you know, as a board member, you have a fiduciary responsibility for the overall, you know, for the mission of the organization and the resources that have been entrusted to that organization and for the deployment of those resources in order to accomplish the mission. So I would, you know, without going into a long detail, I teach a full course at Columbia on governance. I would say that document called Before You Get Started, written by the New York State Attorney General, is one of the best documents. Before I bring someone onto my board, I actually require them to read that. And we have a conversation to say, do you understand exactly what you're legally and morally and ethically responsible for of joining the board? Because you know, to say, I don't know, is not an excuse. Boy, I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you for this, really bringing that out, that, that there are some major responsibilities that come with serving on a board. And so I think when it comes to an endowment, in particular, it just ratchets it up even that much more. Well, this has been super helpful. You know, for my listeners, you've got quite a bit of experience. Of course, they'll, they'll learn a bit about you and we'll go on the front end, and then we'll have some great links on the show. Anything else, though, what's the best way for people to connect with you if you would like them to connect with you? And then also any other resources you would like to recommend? 
Yeah. So I think the best way to connect with me is through LinkedIn. And, and so if you, you know, if you can find me on LinkedIn and, you know, if you have questions or whatever, you can send me messages through, through LinkedIn, which I think would be terrific. The thing that I, you know, that I would say is for, you know, for boards as a board, potential board member or as an executive director is to clearly understand, you know, what the legal, moral and ethical responsibilities of board service are. You know, and endowment is one of those places that people get in trouble because they, you know, I was talking with someone and they said, oh, yeah, we're in great shape. We have X number of million dollars, you know, millions of dollars in the bank. And then as we started to drill down, I realized, well, no, that is endowment <laughs> and that money can never be touched. So it is a completely, you know, it's like really understanding that those distinctions, pay attention to those gift agreements because they're super important. Boy, good documentation. So critical. I'm glad you brought that up. Well, Timothy, thank you again for just sharing all these great insights. Super interesting conversation. Again, particularly when it comes to planned gifts and endowment. Thanks for all you're doing to share and help shape nonprofit leaders so that they're more effective you know, as a leader. So thank you again for taking time and thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you, Rob. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community, find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.